everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts as usual. My name is Jeff. Joining me also as usual is my other co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. How are you doing today? Oh my gosh, it's uh, it's a great day. It's uh, the sun came out and saw us here for a couple hours in the uh, Tacoma, Seattle area, and uh, there's uh, some baseball going on. Uh, so I'm I'm a happy guy right about this time of year. I got to tell you, we have got so much stuff to talk about in BP here before we get to the main segment of the show that I am a little bit worried. So I think we should just jump right in because I got to. I literally have, I don't think I've ever had a BP segment this packed. Well, we better get into it then. Yeah. Now, first though, before we get into official BP, let's stretch. You know how the team stretch before BP. We need to do this because we need to bring an important message to our listeners. Okay. We have received a very, very exclusive honor. We've been included on a very exclusive list. If you the listener were on the internet and wanted to listen to a podcast about a specific subject and you were presented a list of the 50 top podcasts on that subject we are included in a very elite group in a exciting stuff yes (laughs) we have been named the in the entire internet the number 41st best podcast about whiskey. That's right. I'm so excited. This means that maybe whiskey podcasts are an untapped market. If we, a baseball history podcast, have been named the 41st best whiskey podcast. Yes, it's um, we're, we're very knowledgeable on uh, distilling uh, spirits here. I'm Aren't good we? at drinking whiskey. I will say that I might <laughs> I, be a Hall of Famer. I don't have the uh, I don't have the taste buds for whiskey. <laughs> but that was that really made my week last week <laughs> when was, you told me that. That was awesome. I, I was I was just you know surfing around and I was like, hey, what is this? Why? Are we? And I went and I checked it out and there we were amongst all these other great distillery and whiskey uh, podcasts and there was two strike noise. Can't beat it. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, just another <laughs> another trophy for our our walk of fame as people enter the two strike noise uh, studio. Just That's right. One. All right, let's get into some real baseball stuff because, like I said, I have got a metric ton of stuff to talk about, and a lot of it is actual baseball history, believe it or not. So, first of all, last week the Reds, the Reds are so bad, so Oof. bad. Ooh, yeah. But they found a new way to lose last week. And I guess if you're going to lose, this is a cool way to lose. I mean, probably not for Reds fans, but uh, right. combined no hitter. The Reds threw a combined no hitter and still managed to lose one to nothing. Unbelievable. Like I said, a new way every day the Reds surprise us. The sixth time in big league history since 1901 that a team did not give up any hits, but still took the loss. Last time. Do you remember the last one? Wasn't it, uh, what's his name, Cowley? White Sox? Uh, no. Are you thinking, oh, are you thinking of Andy Hawkins of the Yankees against the White Sox? Well, that's not the right answer, but. Okay. <laughs> well, the answer, it actually happened in 2008 is the last time. 
the first thing that comes to my mind is Andy Hawkins and, and okay. with the Yankees. But in 2008, Jared Weaver and Jose Arredondo, that's a fun one to say, Arredondo, of the Angels lost to the Dodgers. Through a combined no-hitter against the Dodgers, but the Dodgers still scored a run or more. I don't know. I didn't look up the score. But <laughs> that's not good of me. Uh, you know what? I contend, though, that combined no-hitters are actually harder than a complete game no-hitter by one person. You can make that argument. I, I really think so, because you got to have two or more pitchers be good enough on that day to not give up a hit. With one guy, if you've got a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander or a Jacob deGrom on the hill, you know how good those guys are on a bad day. But if you catch them on a good day, they could just mow everybody down just on their own. But in a combined no-hitter, if you've got Steve Reliever coming in and he throws just one bad pitch and gives up a hit, there goes the, you know, the, the combined right. no-hitter. Yeah. So I, I contend that the combined no-hitter, of which we've had, this is our second, right, this year? That's right. <laughs> I contend that those are more difficult. And I, I found this story that just happened, too, that goes right along those lines. The single-A Dundee Blue Jays in a game, they won a game one to nothing over the Tampa Tarpons. They struck out 24 batters in this one to nothing win. My goodness. It was a two-hitter, though. So they it, wow. it, it was done by two pitchers, Nick Frasso and Dehan Santos. Frasso struck out eight over three innings, and then uh, Santos struck out ten over four. And then another guy came in. Oh, and then uh, Braden Scott. He came in the last two innings and struck out all six batters that he retired. Jeez, nice. But it was a two-hitter. Because, again, yeah. these three guys were all on their game. <laughs> Only three batters were not struck out for outs. That's that's ridiculous. Let me hear it. If, if you think a regular complete game no-hitter is harder than a combined no-hitter, let me know. Can, can I talk about Joe Kelly, why I said that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, September 19th, 1986. He did throw a 7-1 to no hitter against the California angels. Uh, and he threw as many balls as he did strikes, walked seven men and surrendered one unearned run. And he so. only threw 629 pitches that day. <laughs> so, yeah. It says um, Kelly did not win again in 1986. And after four winless starts in 87 was released by the Phillies. Kelly thus became the only pitcher in MLB history, never to win another game after pitching a no hitter. There's some history for you. Should, it sounds like he should have been a Mariner. Maybe he could be an honorable mention Mariner. Hey, we the Mariners succeeded at their combined no-hitter. All right. Well, I've got more history that took place last week. And I'm not. we're right. not even going to talk about Albert Pujols pitching. Okay. I want to talk about something else with the Cardinals. When Yadi Molina and Adam Wainwright, that's a hard one for me to say, Wainwright, they combined to uh, form a battery for the 203rd time last week, setting a new mark as uh, for, for the pitcher and catcher that worked together the most. 203 oh, wow. starts. Pretty That's impressive. awesome. Yeah. yeah, they passed Warren Spawn and Del Crandall. Wow. Setting that record. So it's been That's around cool. a while. Yeah. This was very interesting. This seems right up our alley. One of the most memorable scenes of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Remember in 1986, while they're taking the day off, they go to the Cubs game. 
Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. There was an auction recently where a ticket from that game where they filmed this scene, it ended up selling for a thousand dollars. Well, actually, one thousand and fifty dollars. I don't want to lose that fifty dollars there in no. profit. Somebody was willing to pay that much for a ticket to that wow. game. Now, the game itself is crazy. It was September 24th, 1985 at Wrigley Field, Expos and the Cubs. The final score, 15 to 17 with the Expos winning. Wow. (laughs) The Expos scored 12 runs in the fifth inning. So it is uh, 15 to 2 heading into the bottom of the sixth. Expos on top and rolling. Then in the sixth, the Cubs score one. Then in the seventh, they score three. Then in the eighth, they score four. Then in the ninth, they score five runs. Wow. (laughs) That bullpen was just on fire for the Expos there. Man, I guess. Jeff Reardon ended up getting a save. He came in and just nailed down the final out. He only pitched a third of an inning and cut the save. (laughs) Way to go, man. Clutch. Randy St. Clair and John Dobson absolutely stunk up the joint they gave up 12 earned runs in two and two-thirds innings out of the pen (laughs) but our boy Bryn Smith did get the win for the Expos oh that's good yeah Uh, some great lines here from this game for the Expos Mitch Webster went three for five with a double and a stolen base the Hawk Andre Dawson three home runs eight RBI he went four for six that's good, right? That's his WPA for this game was 0.267. <laughs> he won a quarter of this game all by himself. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and and Mitch Webster, that three for five, his was a 0.205. So between he and Dawson, they almost accounted for half of that win on their own. That's impressive. Yeah, that is very impressive. All right. I want to do uh, head right into debuts. Like I said, we got a whole bunch to talk about today. This show is debuting on May 17th. Not, I mean, there were a good portion of debuts. Only one really stuck out to me, though. And that was in 1986 when Fred McGriff made his debut in the big leagues. Very nice. The yeah. crime dog. Yeah. Now, McGriff almost made that debut in pinstripes. Really? Yes. So Fred McGriff was drafted by the Yankees. In the ninth round of the 1981 MLB draft, but he was traded in December of 82 in what some call the most lopsided trade in Major League history. He was traded with Dave Collins and Mike Morgan by the Yankees to the Blue Jays for Tom Dodd and Dale Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Yeah, oops is right. 493 career home runs later. Probably should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff, one of the great first basemen of our time. He was the second player in baseball history to lead each league in home runs. He led the AL in 89 with the Jays and then in the National League in 92 with the Padres. First ever to do that was Hall of Famer Sam Crawford, who did that in 1901 and 1908. That was a while ago. That was a good, there's a good chunk of time there. McGriff hit at least 20 home runs across 15 different seasons. That's consistency. That's consistency. Yeah, that's Very right. Very nice. All-time leader is Henry Aaron, who finished with 20 seasons 
of <laughs> at least 20 home runs. That's crazy. Looking at baseball references, similar batters, which is something I like to do when you compare who baseball reference, you know, says, hey, this guy's similar to these guys. Listen to these names. Willie McCovey, Willie Stargell, Jeff Bagwell, David Ortiz, Frank Thomas, Billy Williams. I mean, that's a who's who. Those are all Hall of Famers, except for Carlos Delgado. So (laughs) some impressive, you know, similarities there. Nickname Crime Dog, of course. That was Chris Berman. Not my favorite guy, but he came up with that nickname. Obviously a play on McGruff the Crime Dog, which was a very popular PSA campaign on crime prevention. Yes, it was very important. Uh, McGruff the Crime Dog would tell us we had to take a bite out of crime. Yep, you did. Yes. Did, Did it work? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're getting robbed, you're supposed to bite the person? Is This just doesn't seem... No, right. not the person. You take a bite out of the crime. So uh, I don't know how you do that. Okay. It's, it's, a meta- it's metaphorical. Is what I think so, saying. yeah. Yeah. I think we're being too literal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably it. At first, McGriff did not care for this nickname. He wanted to be called the Fire Dog. <laughs> We don't get to choose our own nicknames. No, but this was in reference to, and I think we've talked about this before, the first game at uh, Fulton County Stadium during batting practice, the press box caught on fire that day. That's right. Yes. When, you know, with the trade and with that fire, the Braves who were slumping at that time caught fire is what the, uh, the article I read (laughs) <laughs> said yeah that's not <laughs> but they ended up winning their division but he's since grown into the crime dog he's down with it now sure appeared in commercials for tom amansky's baseball fundamentals of course <laughs> in 91 he was asked as a favor to come in and just do a quick uh, hey this video is great you know and uh tom amansky had helped him out earlier in his career little did he know for over a decade he would be the face of these videos that he last time i saw a video of him he said he had never even seen the videos well they certainly have a a long life among baseball fans yeah And, and i think to listeners of this show everybody remembers those commercials i would hope so yeah uh this got me thinking though first baseman who probably should be in the hall of fame and aren't yeah. You've, you've got McGriff, you got Don Mattingly, you got mm-hmm. Keith Hernandez, who I've I've stated my case for him to be in. Carlos Delgado, first base. I mean, also you I, you could probably put. I don't know if Paul Canerco really deserves to be in there. He was a great hitter, but again, sure. first base. I think first base might be one of the tougher positions to get into the Hall of Fame as. When yeah, you look you at may be right. those guys, and they're not in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a hitter's position for sure. Yeah. Also wanted to mention a couple of other things, uh, a couple of other debuts in 1986. Ed Hearn made his debut. He was the lone sane voice in the 86 Mets clubhouse. <laughs> even though he was a that. I remember that. <laughs> uh, he has gone on, boy, he had some struggles, but he has really had quite a life. Uh, this was a great note that I saw. He is the only player in professional baseball history to win a championship in A ball, double A ball, triple A ball, and the major leagues in four consecutive seasons with the same franchise. That is amazing. It's a heck of a run. Four-year run there. <laughs> you get used to winning. What My do you, gosh. What do you do that first season your team doesn't make the playoffs? You're right. You, you don't know what to do with yourself. 
That has to be confusing. Yes. <laughs> also, I wanted to mention Ray Quinones, who, uh, as a Mariner, was one time called on to pinch hit, but they couldn't find him. <laughs> because he had already gone into the clubhouse to play Nintendo. Oops. And I think this is before Nintendo owned part of the Mariners. So it wasn't. Right, so it was very much frowned upon. Yeah, it was uh, not really. I think he got in trouble for that. Last thing I want to mention here in BP, it is the 40th anniversary of Ricky Henderson's 130 stolen base season. So I thought it would be fun to kind of check in on that season and see how it compared to the current day. So today in 1982, and we're recording this on Monday the 16th. Today in 1982, Ricky had 38 stolen bases. Right. Today. On the 16th, prior to any games being played Monday night, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Rays are tied for the major league lead with 29 stolen bases as a team. So they are nine (laughs) short of Ricky's total from 1982 at this point in the season. Wow. Yeah. The uh, Tigers are last in the majors. They have five. (laughs) Five stolen bases. (laughs) <laughs> Ricky Ricky stole four bases in a game in a single game four different times during that season. <laughs> so I think we'll check in every now and then, maybe once a month and compare Ricky's uh, 82 season to what That's is going idea. on. Jeff, I got I do got a question for you talking about uh, we, we talked recently about the designated hitter. I found an important date. June 12th, 1997 was when. Uh, the very first National League players became designated hitters. The very first DH in the National League was Dante Bichette. And now, can you name who the first DH was for the San Diego Padres? <laughs> I'm going to just throw it out there <laughs> and say that it might have been the aforementioned Ricky Henderson. You got it, man. <laughs> now, I did not know that. I, I even forgot he played with the Padres. You can rattle off every team he was with every single game. I, I don't have that ability. Yeah, he was the he was the first DH for the Padres. You don't think of Ricky and, and the Padres uh, any more than you think of him with any other team. Yeah. But uh, it was a big day, and uh, Ricky was a big part of it. So that was I thought that was kind of cool. A couple of things just rattling completely off the top of my head. I believe he went two for five with a home run that day. Of course you believe that. Of course you know that. No, I I looked it up, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I think of I think of him with the Padres quite a bit. He had two different stints on the Padres. He broke the uh, walks record and the run scored record with the Padres, and he got his 3,000th hit with the Padres. All right, that's going to uh, that's going to wrap up our BP segment. Let's get into the main uh, meat of the show here. And Mark, I know you love to talk about umpires. I uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Actually, it is a very tough position, and I respect the guys that can actually go out there and, and make good calls game after game. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about something that happened in 1999, the mass resignation of umpires. To go a little bit into the history, um, the Major League Umpires Association was formed. In, that was their first union in 1969. And in uh, October 1970 was their first strike. So the first day of the league championship series, they said, eh, no pay. We're not going to show up. So the league championship series was run by uh, minor league umpires and uh, retired major league umpires. 
you know, they got around it that way. And then they, they were actually came back to work and they succeeded on getting themselves a little bit of a pay raise for the postseason and so on. Really didn't have the best start. They formed the union and they immediately were striking. Just kind of give you a general idea of what happened was entering the 1999 season, they were, there was a lot of trouble between the league and, and the umpires. And the league wanted to uh, make it easier to hire and fire umpires. And they uh, wanted to change the strike zone and the umpires weren't all for it. So they uh, decided, the umpires decided, well, we're going to, we're going to strike. And then, and they voted to strike, but they couldn't because their collective bargaining agreement disallowed striking. And so they figured if they did go on strike, they would just have a, uh, some court would send them back to work a couple of days later. So they decided, they came up with this brilliant idea that what we'll do is, all right, July 14th, they're in Philadelphia. They vote to strike. They can't. They decide what they're going to do is they're all going to resign. Okay. They're going to force negotiations by everybody resigning. And now I initially thought, that, oh, they'll have everybody resign because it's just going to be too big of a mess and, and Major League Baseball is going to freak out. But that's not why they resigned. The reason they all decided to resign at once would be to force Major League Baseball to pay them about $15 million in severance pay. And they thought that would sway them. So 68 Major League Baseball umpires, all but two, Daryl Cousins and John Shulock, who were not members of the union because they were replacement umpires in 79, 34 National League umpires sent letters of resignation and 23 umpires who worked in the American League. And within the week, uh, several of the umpires thought twice about doing this and tried to rescind their resignations. And that didn't seem, that didn't happen. And what happened was Major League Baseball went, oh, you guys resigned? Cool. We accept these particular resignations right here. And uh, the rest of you guys, we'll, 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 uh, you can come back, but uh, we're going to hire a bunch of replacements from the minor leagues. And we're only going to uh, bring back 14 American League umpires. Major League Baseball accepted the resignation of 13 uh, of the National League umpires and nine of the American League umpires. So the union filed charges with the National Labor Relations Board. And the NLRB said, you guys quit, man. What, <laughs> what are you talking about? In August, the union requested arbitration. The American National League said, nah, we don't think so. Um, on September 1, the parties agreed on a severance package, which confirmed the loss of 22 umpires' jobs, and the MLUA pledged not to strike ever again. It didn't really go over as well as they planned. In fact, in fact you might say it was a really, really bad idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after... This, this whole fiasco, uh, the umpires voted to decertify their union. And so they decertified the Major League Umpiring Association and decided to form a different union. And um, the World Umpires Association was formed. And that's who we still have uh, going on right now. John Hirschbeck took over the union leadership. Five-year contracts have been negotiated. There has been no strikes or threats of strikes and uh, this union particularly seems to be working out a little bit more than the previous one. Looking back at uh, and seeing who some of these guys that were let go, my favorite umpire of all time was let go in the strike in this uh, mass resignation. Mark Johnson. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm pretty sure there was an umpire named Mark John, but it's Johnson. It is Johnson. He is uh, not cool enough to have a T 
in his name, but he's still with Mark Johnson. So he's kind of cool. Uh, Rich Garcia, uh, Larry McCoy, Drew Cobol, Jim Evans, Dale Ford, those guys were all let go. And so what was the fate of, of some of these guys? Well, I did a little bit of research and found out that the 22 that were actually let go, 22 umpires submitted uh, to an, a grievance to an arbitrator. And nine of them were reinstated with full back pay and union benefits. In 04, as part of the negotiations for the new collective bargaining agreement, MLB agreed to hire three of those 22 umpires and pay a total of $2.3 million in severance pay to another six. And then in 06, the last of the outstanding claims were resolved with an award of back pay to five umpires and pension contributions for two. So... You had guys like Gary Darling, who the arbitrator ordered reinstated with full back pay and benefits, rehired in 02, and he was uh, he split uh, back pay awarded to him, Ponchino, Vanover, Joe West, and uh, Bill Hong. So they split $3.1 million in back pay. Guys like Jim Evans and Dale Ford, Eric Gregg, they all received $400,000 in severance pay and got their health benefits back. It all kind of ended up uh, like Greg Kosk was uh, reinstated by the arbitrator with full back pay and benefits. He uh, retired with the back pay after that, which that was pretty smart. You know, they all had different fates. Larry Vanover uh, was awarded 42,000 pension contribution. Joe West, who I believe is just just left, uh, just retired or announced his retirement. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little upset that they accepted his re- resignation and had a chance to get rid of Joe. They West. did. They did. They hired him back but, and but he got to split 3.1 yeah. million. It was uh, not the best idea, but as it turned out over the course, as uh, tempers cooled and things got negotiated, most of them ended up getting some kind of compensation or hired back. And yeah, so I'm looking at a list of these names of these umpires and I don't, you know, today I know some umpires names, some of these yeah. guys are still still umping right now. But boy, back in the day when reading a box score in the paper was, you know, that's where you get your 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 mm-hmm. baseball news. Mm-hmm. I re- you know, I would read those box scores from top to bottom. So all of these names are super familiar. Yeah, to me. Yep. And there are some guys that, yeah, I mean, uh, Drew Coble, I remember that name, but he never came back. I remember Eric Gregg. Remember Eric Gregg was a, he was a rather hefty individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of those guys that people like to make fun of, like, you know, how is he going to run out to center field to see if a ball was caught and that kind of stuff. I remember, uh, you know, he was not rehired he had health issues. He passed away in 2006. I remember he bought a bar and was tending bar at his own bar at one point. I seeing huh. a story on that. You got guys like Tom Hallion, who's still umpiring today. The famous, you know, our asses in the jackpot. He was the guy that was explaining that uh, just a couple of years ago. Bach and Bob Davidson. They, they, uh-huh. they retired. They rehired him, too. I mean, they had a chance to get rid of some of these guys. I'm. You know, this tells me, though, is we're never going to see Angel Hernandez. (laughs) He's going to die out there, isn't he? I really enjoy the Korean League where if you make a bad call or a number, a a certain amount of bad calls, you get sent down as an umpire and you have to work your way back up. You have to earn your spot back. Boy, I would love to see that. 
<laughs> I would love to see that. When you told me you were going to do this and, and I knew some of these guys, you know, had been hired back and some hadn't, I wanted to uh, look in because obviously baseball players have struck before and they have a very strong union as well. But I know that there are, there have always been a handful of players playing that are not members of the MLBPA. I was looking up, you know, when, when you, when you cross a picket line, you're typically called a scab. It's really, it's a harsh word, but that's what we're going to use because that's what they're referred to. And in 1995, of course, MLB players struck. And so I was just looking up some of the players that crossed the line and then continued to play after, uh, you know, after things were settled. And there are some names here that I had no idea that they had crossed the line. Benny Agbayani, no Hmm. idea that he had, uh, that he had crossed the line. Also in this list here, you know, the MLBPA is what licenses the the ability to use a player's name or likeness on merchandise and, and stuff like that. And then the MLBPA gets a cut of that money and then they distribute it to the former players. So if you buy a video game, though, or you're doing Stratomatic or anything like that, you know how you'll get those weird names. And we're not talking the Japanese fighting baseball game because those right. were those were just <laughs> Those were too good. But when you buy a, a game and they have just a random guy on the uh, on the on the list, again, it's no Bobson Dugnut, but it's still it's, you know a weird name. This also gives me their name uh, for each of these players. So Benny Agbayani would never appear in a baseball game, but Brian Hiller would, and it would be his stats. So also we had Brian Dabak. Oh. He yeah. he crossed the line. Brendan Donnelly, pitcher for the Angels. I think he was a, a closer at one point. They actually do use his real name, but again, he crossed the line. Corey Lytle, that's one I knew. Mm-hmm. I think he was the one that passed away when his plane crashed in New York. Was that him? I think it was. Kerry uh, <laughs> Leitenberg, I remember him with Atlanta. He's known as Lee Grove. Uh, Ron Mayhe, I remember him. He was with the mm-hmm. A's. I remember that he definitely crossed the line. Frankie Menachino was yeah. a scab. I did not know that. So was Lou Merloni and Kevin Millar. I think Kevin Millar is the biggest name on this list. Sure, Obviously, yeah. because he won uh, won a World Series with the, with the Red Sox. Catcher Damian Miller, we're both familiar with him. He crossed the line. Shane Spencer of the Yankees. I did oh, not wow. know that one. He crossed the line and uh, also some uh, some players like Pedro Bourbon. Now, I know Pedro Bourbon Jr. He was a pitcher with Atlanta. I knew his father had pitched Pedro Bourbon. Pedro Bourbon had been retired for like 20 years, but he came (laughs) back because they needed anybody that could play even remotely close. And so he came back and lost his, uh, you know, lost his membership in the MLBPA. Rick Reed, he came back. Now, this was sad because he took a lot of crap for crossing the line. He was a veteran at that point, but his father was sick and was burning through money trying to, you know, pay for medication and stuff. So he Mm. crossed the line in order to be able to pay for his father's medicine. Uh, Mm. Joe Sluzarski. Slew. <laughs> if you ever see a Bob Bleacher in a game, that is actually Joe Sluzarski. What? Yeah. 
That's that's his that's his fake name is Bob Bleacher. <laughs> okay. Now I'm looking. None of these names are are really that outrageous. You, you know, like they were for the the fighting game with uh, Willie Dustus and Mike mm-hmm. Truck. Mike Truck is my favorite. Mike I like Truck. Mike Truck even better than Bobson Dugnut <laughs> or, or Dwight Rorchigal. <laughs> actually, classics. actually, it's Dewitt. They they forgot the H. Dewitt. But yeah, I mean, or Glenn Allen Mixon. <laughs> There's just I look at this list every time and I just can't stop reading them. Uh, we did a we did a show on those. Yeah, uh, we talked about those. If anybody wants to go back and take a look or listen, if you cross the line, if you're not a member of MLBPA, I don't think you're uh, eligible for a pension either from uh, from the MLBPA. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. So you really do. I mean, there are definitely a lot of monetary benefits from being a member of the players union. I just wanted to look back because obviously that's the that's the strike. That's the last player strike. Right. And uh, yeah, these names were right in our wheelhouse for some of these guys that that had crossed over. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So uh, that's enough. uh, That's enough scab talk. Fortunately for, for MLB, they didn't have to weather the just atrocious calls like the NFL did when they had scab referees, which I, I mean, sometimes like when, when Angel Hernandez is behind the plate, you can't really tell, (laughs) but still, I mean, they didn't have the, uh, that, the, the fail Mary with the Seahawks and the, the Packers, that, that level, look at all this football knowledge I'm dropping. Who am I? You're starting to confuse me. What, what is going on? All right, let's get back to our whiskey talk. Oh, wait, no, this is, yeah, this is still baseball. All right, that's going to wrap up our uh, main segment of the show. That is going to lead us into the final segment. Everybody knows what that is. That's why people come. It's time for Wax Packs. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull the Wax Pack Hero! Mark, we started the new season last last week. Started it the same way I ended the previous three by uh, getting blown out. Almost had a negative score. Yes. At a point one was my final score last week. (laughs) (laughs) I framed framed that scorecard, by the way. I would hope so. Yeah. So let's let's go over the new rules because we do have some new ones here. We're going to open a couple of packs. Uh, Today we are opening some 1990 Donruss. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to open those. We're going to take the baseball reference war for each of those players. We'll add them up. But we've got some uh, we've got some additional ways to add or subtract points. Uh, Anything on the player's face. That means glasses, mustache, eye black, blowing a bubble with your bubble gum. Uh, If you're uh, Rognet Odor's fist and you are on Jose Batista's face, that counts. I mean, anything, you're going to get a tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups, you are a good, good person. You're going to get an extra tenth of a point. But if you're wearing the two-in-ones, you're not as good a person. You're going to get a minus a tenth of a point. You're wearing sweatbands with your jersey number, a caricature, or a major corporate logo on it plus 10th of a point. If you've won an award that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, that's a half a point of war for each of those. If you are in the Hall of Fame, 
You've done a good job. You get a whole <laughs> whole point of war for that. If your batting helmet has two flaps or no flaps, you get an extra tenth of a point. If you're batting without batting gloves, that's another tenth of a point. If you played any of your final three seasons for the Seattle Mariners, you get an extra tenth of a point for any season that you did it. Uh, if we pull a Ricky Henderson or a Nolan Ryan, if it's a Ricky, Ricky, I get it. If it's a Nolan, Mark gets it. That is a whole plus five. Plus five. This is 1990. I think you're you're in the running this time to actually get a Nolan Ryan. So oh, yeah, yeah, it could happen. It could happen. And uh, then, of course, Mark and I were both going to pick a team as well. Uh, if we pull our own team, we get a plus a half a point of war. If the other person pulls our team, they get a minus half a point. So, Mark, what team are you going to go with this week? You know, I, I don't think I've uh, run with the uh, Boston Red Sox at all. So we're going to go Boston. All right, you're going to run with the Red Sox. Who have I not picked for? You know, what? I'm going to go with the Angels. There you go. They just did a number on on my A's, so I'm going to I'm going to go with them and see what we got. All right, I got two packs here: left hand, right hand. Which one would you like? Well, I want to know what the right pack. Let's go with the right. All right, I'm going to have you go first. These uh, packs have 16 cards in it, so Oy. you're going to have to lose six cards here. Would you like to lose the first or the last six? Let's lose the bottom six. Bottom six. How many Hall of Famers are in there, man? All right. So you are going to lose Roger McDowell with the Phillies, Roberto Kelly with the Yankees, Tim Leary, the pitcher, not the Mm -hmm. comedian, uh, with the Reds, Mike Flanagan with the Blue Jays. Oh, good mustache right there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Wally World. You're going to lose Wally Joyner with the Angels. Uh Uh-oh. And Andy McGaffigan. Uh-oh. Not related to Jim McGaffigan, I'm guessing. No, uh, yeah, he doesn't have a mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to start out here and uh, look at your first card. Your first card is a guy here with the Dodgers. I remember him with Atlanta. I think he came over in, was it probably 91 and was uh, with Atlanta in the playoffs that year. Alejandro Pena. Oh, sure. All right, Alejandro Pena. 15 years in the big leagues. Uh, most of it was with L.A., nine years with the Dodgers. Ended up with a 56-52 and 52 record overall in 1990. Yep, in 91, he started out with the Mets and then ended up with Atlanta. But in 1990, spent the whole year with the Mets, 3-3, three and 3.2 three, ERA in 52 games, all of them out of the bullpen. He had five saves and ended up with a 118 ERA plus. And that will start you off with a .8 war. He does have a mustache, and he is wearing real stirrups here as well. So that'll start you off with an even one. Very nice. Our uh, The topic has come around, topic from earlier. Uh, Kent Merker, Mark Wallers, and Pena were the three, the Alejandro Pena were the three that threw the combined no-hitter against the Padres. Oh, look at that. In 91. Team, this is how you get to be in the top 50 of whiskey podcasts. Right. Is you plan these things out, and you really... Nail them. And I think that this is this is why Mark has won Whiskey Podcaster of the Year (laughs) several years ago. Oh, man. Yeah, I still have all those trophies. All right. So that's a that's a good start for you. You're in the positive one. All right. Next, we've got a Minnesota twin pitcher, Gary Wayne. I do remember Gary Wayne. Not sure if I had him in Strat or Rotisserie. Gary Wayne, six years in the big leagues, 14 and 14 overall. In 1990 with the Twins, he was 1-1 one one with a 4-1-9 ERA and an even 100 ERA plus. So right at the uh, league average, all of that will equate to a point f- 
uh, I'm sorry, a point three war. And there is nothing on this card that is going to help you out. Jerry Wayne was a member of the very first Colorado Rockies team in 93. Oh, nice. So is it with David Need? That's right. Did Need start that year in the big leagues? I, I know he was the first overall Man. pick of the of the Rockies. That's a good question. Um, no, he's not listed. Uh, no, no Need listed anywhere for that hmm. initial. I saw Mark Apple. Remember Mark Apple? first overall pick from the Astros out of Stanford a couple of years ago, yep. just burnt out in the, in the minor leagues. We even did a story on him. He'd opened up a couple of subway shops. He is back in pitching. I think he's pitching out of the bullpen in the minors and he's having some success. So no kidding. Yeah, that's that great. Be, that would be really cool if he could make a comeback next. We've got another pitcher. Uh, this one from your, uh, your, I don't know, which is your one a and one B favorite team, but this one from the Astros, Dave Smith. Oh, man, there's your closer right there. Dave Smith, he's uh, looking good in this picture. He's got a sleeve, his pitching sleeve kind of rolled up on his uh, on his jersey. Let's see, 1990, good news for you. He was an all-star this year. Very nice. Went 6-6 six and six with a 2.39 ERA, 23 saves in 60 in the third inning, struck out 50, and that is a 157 ERA plus. That's good news. And all of that will equate to a war of 1.7 plus the all-star, so that will be a 2.2, and he's got real stirrups, so that'll be a 2.3. That'll work. Yeah, let's see, 13 years in the big leagues, 11 with Houston, 3 with the Cubs to finish it up. And finished up with 216 career saves. Very nice. And uh, he, I believe, still holds the Astros record for games pitched. 586. There it is. All right. Next, we have got uh, a guy, a legacy guy. Here he is with my guys, the Oakland A's. It is Stan Javier. Oh, man. This is good because I know he ended his career with the Mariners. He did. Two of his last three seasons were with the Mariners. So there's two tenths of a point right out of the right out of the bag. Plus, he always had a mustache. Yep. Just looking at the card here, I can't tell if he's got real stirrups or not. This is prime, uh, especially for A's players, prime two in one. But I cannot prove that these are two in one, so I'll give it to you. So that'll be an extra two tenths plus the two tenths for the Mariners. Let's see. In 1990, he was uh, split time between Oakland and the Dodgers. Hmm. Overall, had a pretty good year. Hit 298, 376 on base. Wow. Uh, 15 stolen bases. Boy, walked 40 times, struck out 50. That's not a bad ratio. And had a 117 OPS plus. That is good for a war of 4.3. Way to go, Stan Javier. So that'll be a 4.7 with your additional bonuses. Once he got traded to uh, L.A., he posted a 4.0 war in 104 games. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Javier was uh, was underrated. He could always hit, and he was solid defensively. And he could play anywhere in the outfield. Yeah. He was uh, play anywhere there. Uh, father, Julian, Julian, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Javier, played for 13 years in the big leagues, 12 with uh, the Cardinals, and then one year with the Reds. Very similar numbers to his son. Named name Stan after Stan Musial. Oh, that's a good little nugget. And uh, here's a little story for you. Uh, his very last at bat of his career. I kid you not. I'm working the game. They introduce him. I turn around to the DJ and I go, hey, why weren't we playing stand in the place where you live? And he goes, that's really good. Way to come up with that. The very last at bat of his entire career. <laughs> good job. <laughs> uh, of course, got to mention it. He was involved in a trade for Ricky Henderson. 
There you go. He's not. He's no Eric Plunk, who was involved in almost every trade for Ricky <laughs> Henderson, but he's still there. Uh, member of the uh, member of the Dodgers, 1988, when they beat the A's in the World Series. Mm. I don't want to talk about that. Moving on, you've got another pitcher. You got a lot of pitchers here. Here's a lefty. It is with the Brewers, Tony Fossus. Now I know he was a Mariner at some point. Let's see here, Tony Fossus, nicknamed the Mechanic. Does that mean okay. that he would uh, he grease the ball up or was he doctoring it? Mm. I don't know. Let's see. He did play with Seattle in his fourth to last year. So you just missed out there. (laughs) 1990, uh, 12 years in the big leagues, most of it with Boston. In 1990, he was with the Brewers. He went two and three with a 6.44 ERA. That's not looking good. In 29 innings for a 61 ERA plus. And that is going to be a minus 0.8. Ouch, Tony Fossil. And he's got two and ones. Oh, come on. Man. That is a minus. That's a I think that's supposed to be in my pack, if I'm being <laughs> honest. That's not a good one. Wow. He played for a lot of teams. He was never traded. Wow. If you look at his transaction, released, signed, released, signed, released, signed, granted free agency, granted free agency. <laughs> he was never traded. Right. <laughs> but he was released and signed or, or issued uh, issued free agency at least like 12 times. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> but he's a left-hander so that kind of explains right. that right okay next oh you've got a rated rookie card oh boy uh, I, we've had him plenty of times before because uh you know of course he played on the mariners i believe it's andy bennis here with the padres andy bennis was one of the first big trades the mariners ever made yep but unfortunately he is long gone from seattle from that oh, half yeah. a year he spent by the time he retired 14 years in the big leagues, seven with the Padres. 1990 was the second year. He went 10 and 11 of the 3.6 ERA, 192 innings, and a 107 ERA plus. And that equals a 2.9 war. Very nice. But nothing else on that card's going to help you out. I'll take the 2.9. No, yeah, that's a much Not better bad. than a minus 0. 0.9. That's right. You say, you know, that was a big trade for the Mariners. They only gave up Mark Newfield and Ron Valone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> for, for, you know, I think the Padres, for a first overall draft pick, the Padres might have been taken advantage of a little bit there. Well, maybe he was, maybe they pilfered him a bit. Uh, we've talked about his tell before and uh, did not appear in Serena the Teenage Witch. All right. Next, we have an actual Mariner. And boy, this is the goofiest looking card I've ever seen. This is. <laughs> His face, like his nose is going one way and the rest of his face is going the other way. It's Eric Hansen. Uh. Let's see. Eric Hansen, 11 years in the big league, six with the Mariners. In 1992, he led the league in losses, which doesn't <laughs> surprise me with 17. Well, he, had, he had a couple really good years, though. Yeah, well, g- good news for you is in 1990, it was one of them. In fact, right. it was his best year with the Mariners. He went 18 and nine. With a 3.24 ERA, uh, had one complete game. Well, he had five complete games, but he had a shutout as well. 236 innings. That's a nice total. And a 121 ERA plus. And that is good for a five even. Wow. That is, yeah, that's a good score there for Eric Hansen. I was not expecting uh, that from Eric Hansen. No. Oh, he's traded by the Mariners with Brett Boone. And that's how the Mariners acquired Dan Wilson, Mariner Hall of Famer. Yeah. Interesting. 
All right. Eric Hansen did not appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Next, we have got a Guardian. Oh, this is this will be a good one for you. Oh, boy. You're going to score big here regardless. It is none other than Joe Carter. <laughs> Gotta love Joe Carter. I love Joe Carter. Gotta hit you. Man, the man hit a ton. Yep. I don't care who he played for. I always liked Joe Carter. He oh, had a absolutely. good smile. Like, yep. he seemed like he was having fun. Yep, agreed. All right, so 1990. This is actually his uh, lone year with the Padres. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Led the league in at-bats for a second straight year. Only hit 232. 290 on base. Ouch. The year before, 292 on base. But he's still, he received MVP votes both years. Let's see. He hit 24 home runs. He drove in 115. And he stole 22 bases. Wow. Which is not even a career high. Uh, if you had to guess how many stolen bases Joe Carter had in his career, what would it be? I, I have no idea. I will guess 75. <laughs> well, he's still 22 in this one year. 231. I wasn't that far off compared to like, you know, if we're looking at nuclear science. He had eight straight years of double digit steals. I wouldn't have thought of and that. And 10 out of 11 of double-digit steals. He stole a career-high 31 in 1987. No kidding. I wouldn't have put that on him. Yeah, very nice. Let's see. All of this equates to a war of minus 1.7. Okay. The year Strike before, the year before with the almost same numbers, he had a positive 1.7. <laughs> this is the <laughs> only except, well, no, at the end of his career, he had some minus. Now. Whoa, wow. His last five years, he had minus wars. But this is right in the middle of his career. He had a minus 1.7. But looking at his card here, he has got a sweatband with his caricature on it. Hey. He's got two, but I can't see the other one, the other caricature. And he's got eye black and a mustache. So that will only well, be a minus 1.4. Joe brings a lot to the table. So I mentioned this was his one season with the Padres. He was involved in that uh, in that big deal between Cleveland and San Diego, where he was traded to San Diego for Sandy Alomar, Carlos Baerga and Chris James. And then he was traded uh, the next year by the Padres with Roberto Alomar to the Blue Jays for our uh, our debut boy, Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez. That's right. I mean, some big names. First overall draft pick by the Cubs in 81. He was also traded for somebody that's on our Do Not Talk About list, Rick Sutcliffe and Ron Hassey. Oh, wow. So if you're traded for Ron Hassey, you know you're doing something right. (laughs) Right. This is very interesting. During the 1997 season, he snuck an unlicensed maple wood bat into a game. Oh, wow. You have to have a... uh, a licensed bat. You can't use unlicensed equipment. Sneaky. Yeah. All right. You've got two cards left. You're currently at 13.9. Next, you've got another pitcher for Atlanta. It's Tony Castillo. I don't remember. Okay. Tony. I thought there was a catcher named Tony Castillo. Well, this is a left-handed pitcher at, who ended up pitching for 10 years in the big leagues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Six that. with Toronto, three with Atlanta, three with the White Sox, and then one with the Mets. In 1990, I mean, he got a ring, I guess. Oh. Yeah, in 1993, he was with the uh, with the Blue Jays. <laughs> he was, boy, this is all tying together today. I don't it's know. Very it's very strange, yeah. It's, it's just like, you know, I, I said when, when Scherzer or DeGrom or 
Kershaw's on the mound. Sometimes you just have those days. Let's yeah. see. Five and one with Atlanta in 91. Uh, 4.23 ERA, only 76 innings. He did start three games and ended up with a 96 ERA plus, And that is good for a 0.2 war. And nothing else is going to help you out on this card. Thanks for being on the positive side. Oh, he was traded also for Alejandro Pena in 91, who you also have on your team. Very nice. So again, it's just, it's all, it's all melding together. It's, it's this amazing melting pot of baseball. Wow. I have never heard of this guy in my life. <laughs> His last name starts with two M's. Okay. Kevin Mahat. I'm going to assume that's how you say it until I look it up. M-M-A-H-A-T. I have no recollection of this guy. I don't either, and I thought it went against the uh, against the English language, which uh, maybe he's, you know, a different descent. To have two M's in a row to start a word. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> uh, let's see. He was, well, he was born in Memphis, so I don't in know Memphis. if they do things different in Tennessee or, or what, but... Uh, let's see. He had one year in the big leagues with the Yankees, and that was in 1989. He went 0-2 in four games, two starts, with a 12.91 ERA. This doesn't matter because this is 89. So yeah. I, I'm tempted to give you a half a point of war for having a, a last name that starts with two M's. Instead of that, why don't you just start calling me Mamark? <laughs> well, here, the pronunciation says Mamahat. Mama hat. Mama hat. Okay. That's not a data hat. That's a mama hat. <laughs> I have not heard that name on anyone. Before. Well, I just won the game too there. You know, well, you got to use the sent- the uh, last name in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's married to the former Gina Tedesco, which, okay. I mean, is that all? That's all you need to know. Owns and operates an exterior coding company called Mid-South Coatings in New Orleans, Louisiana. There you go. For all your exterior coding needs, contact Kevin. Mama hat. Mama hat. All right. So that's going to wrap it up. 14.1. Now, I I would say that feels like a beatable score, but we know how I play this game. So, Well, anything can happen. Yep. So we didn't have any Angels or Red Sox in that. I'm going to lose the bottom six as well because it worked out relatively well for you. All right. So I am going to lose Randy Bush of the Twins. Hall of Famer Goose Gossage, that might hurt a little bit. Bob Welch, Go-Go's Muse. Mm. Hall of Famer Paul Molitor. <laughs> Rated rookie Julio Machado of the Mets. And uh, Mariner Harold Reynolds. I feel oh, like wow. I might have not chosen the right six. But, <laughs> erg. All right, so I'm going to start off with the Kansas City Royal. One of your managers, Bob Boone. Oh, yeah. One of my buddies. Bob Boone, of course, member of the great Boone baseball family, Aaron Brett and his father, Ray. Overall, 19 years in the big leagues as a player. 1990, of course, it was his final year in the big leagues. Uh, Hit 239, no home runs. A 336 on base isn't too bad. 72 OPS plus. And that equals a war of (laughs) 0.0. Nothing to be had on this card to help me or hurt me otherwise. Well, Bob's got some interesting stuff about him. Like uh, how he attended Stanford, where he was a member of the Zeta Psi fraternity. 
Sure. Is that what There's, you wanted to talk about? No, I wanted to talk about the fact that the Boone family is actually related to Daniel Boone, descendants of Daniel Boone. Now, where are you seeing this? Because this is a debate. It's on the internet. It has to be true. Well, now... Yeah, I've I've mentioned I've mentioned our fellow podcasters, the 1988 Tops podcast, and they were talking about this in uh, one of their recent episodes, and they led me to believe that uh, that was not true. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, isn't there like a network TV show that researches all this stuff for okay, you? That's all we need to do is get on network TV. Bob Boone caught Mike Witt's perfect game in 1984 for the oh. uh, for the California Angels. That's cool. Yeah. And then, of course, did some managing where he uh, managed in the minor leagues even. But I, I see where you're getting the descendants of, of Daniel Boone. And yeah, this it's is on, on interwebs. It's on Wikipedia, which, you know, if, if it's on Wikipedia, it's probably true. I don't know. We need, we need somebody to do. We'll wait. For, they haven't done a Bob Boone episode yet. So we'll wait for them to do that. We'll put it on them. Uh, we have mentioned that his mother, Patsy, was a synchronized swimmer who appeared in Esther Williams movies. Yes, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a Hall of Famer. I had two that I lost out on. This is a good pack. Uh, I got a Hall of Famer that played his entire career for the Orioles. Okay. I'll give you half a guess. Is it, could it be Mr. Ripken? Well, which one? Junior. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the Iron Man, 21 years in Major League Baseball, 3,001 games. 1990, good news for me, all-star. Uh, 1991 was his MVP year, so I just missed out. Ah. In 90, he hit 250, 341 on base, 21 home runs, 84 RBI, three stolen bases. How many How many career stolen bases do you think Rip has? Let's see, 75 didn't work out for me earlier, so let's go with 88. 36. <laughs> Again, so close. Career high of six. And he was thrown out 39 times. That's not a good percentage. He was not fast. Uh, 7.5 war. I like it. Uh, 11.5 in 91. So I just missed out. 7.5. Of course, he's a Hall of Famer. So that's 8.5. And he has real stirrups on. So that'll be an 8.6 for Cal Ripken. Wow. To get me going. Yeah, we've covered Cal enough if you want to car go see cal okay now i think i'm gonna win here i think i should automatically win because i have pulled the card of a former guest on this show Ooh, that's a good one uh it's also good because he's wearing the science teacher glasses that we talked to him about and he's got some good real stirrups pulled more than halfway up his his uh his shin it is another legacy player it's vance law wow we can talk a lot about vance law well, we've talked a lot about and to Vance Law. I know, exactly. <laughs> His son of Vern. He played and coached at BYU. He came over. He played two years in Japan. He did the honorable thing and stayed there, even though he didn't want to keep playing there because he's a good guy. Came back, signed with Oakland, and then never really got a chance. Yeah. And 1990, unfortunately for me, he was still in Japan. So other than the uh, the glasses and the real stirrups, I'm not going to get any points out of out of this. 1990, he was with the Chinichi Dragons, hit 313 with 29 home runs, 78 RBIs and a 371 on base. Very nice. Too bad those stats don't count. You sure we can't? 
<laughs> well, if, if we're going to start using that, we got to use minor league stats and then it'll just be complete chaos. At that point. Uh, don't forget, he told a great story. He pitched oh. uh, he pitched three different seasons and for a total of seven games in the big leagues, he pitched and he met, he told us a great story about somebody asked Tony Gwen, the one at bat that still keeps him up at night. And that was against Vance Law, who got him to pop out. That's right. That's a great story. That is. If you have not, go back, listen to Vance Law. Some great stories. I don't appreciate anybody who wants to come on the show. I am going to get a positive two-tenths of a point for those stirrups and the glasses. So I'm at 8.8. Next, I am going to get a first baseman for the Red Sox. It is Carlos Quintana. Oh, I remember. He, uh, he, was, he was pretty well-touted coming up. I think I remember Carlos Quintana. I think he was kind of pear-shaped, <laughs> if I remember, remember correctly. Uh, first baseman. Let's see, five years in the big leagues, all of it with the Red Sox. Let's see, 1990 was probably his second best year in the big leagues. He hit 287, 354 on base, seven home runs, 67 RBI. I told you I think he was pear-shaped. How many career stolen bases in five years do you think the pear-shaped first baseman had? Can I guess negative numbers? <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> but you'll be wrong. Three. You're right on, and, and yeah, he was only caught it. twice. <laughs> so better wow. than Cal. He's better than Cal Ripken at stealing bases. That's right. Yeah. 103 OPS plus, and that is going to be a positive 2.0. Way to go, Carlos. And this is this is a, a bust shot in the dugout. It's just, it's, it's, in spring, it's in spring training. It's from the waist up, but he's wearing eye black in the dugout. Uh-huh. So that'll get me a, an extra tenth of a point there and take me to 10.9. I'm feeling good. Uh-oh. You had a 14.1. I'm positive. I'm not going to look it up, but I'm positive that he was never on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. No, he wasn't. But he uh, was inducted into the Caribbean Baseball Hall of Fame in 2014. Oh, well, there you go. He probably had a good, probably had a better career there than he did in uh all right, next I have got a pitcher for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, Steve Cummings and Goings. Hmm. That I guarantee you that was uh, Berman's nickname for him, if he had one. Sure. Guarantee it. Uh, let's see, only two years in the big leagues. The final of which was 1990, where he only appeared in six games. No record, 5.11 ERA, 12 innings pitched, four strikeouts, five walks, and an 83 ERA plus for a war of 0.0, I will take that. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely take that. I was expecting much worse. I don't think he got into enough games to uh, to really hurt that team. <laughs> Steve, uh, with the world's shortest Wikipedia page. Yes, too. it is. Uh, it is. It is we. All right. Next, I've got a catcher for the Reds, Jeff Reed. I guess there is a place kicker named Jeff Reed uh, in football as well. Yes. Not that guy. No. You can always tell when we got to do a little extra Google searching because uh, mention something like that. Left-handed uh, batter, but a right-handed thrower. Oh, By man. the way, if, if you follow us on social media, uh, we did last week celebrate the anniversary of the last left-handed catcher, Benny DiStefano, in That's the big right. leagues. So <laughs> go back and check that out if you missed it. Uh, 17 years in the big leagues for Jeff Reed. That's wow. a good. I mean, he was that. He is a prototypical backup catcher. Yeah, and he's he's the guy you want in that position because he's going to nail it. You can trust him as exactly. a, as a backup catcher. 1990, 72 games for the Reds, 251, a 340 on base percentage. Wow. Wow. Good high. 
334 overall lifetime on base percentage for a backup catcher. That's pretty good. Three home runs, 16 RBI. Of course, he won a World Series ring this year. 90 OPS plus, and that will be only good for a .2 war. He does have real stirrups on, though. That'll be a .3. That'll bring me up to 11.2. Kind of an interesting uh, uh, note about Reed is that he was filling in for an injured Bo Diaz when he caught Tom Browning's perfect game. Very nice. He, I've got two catchers that have caught. Well, no, I guess Boone caught a, a no hitter. Yes, but still, I've got a, I've got some good catchers. I've got I've got my number one and my number two. There you go. All right, I'm at eleven point two. I have got four cards left. Uh, this one he might be at the end of his career, but uh, I've got Dewey Dwight Evans. Fantastic baseball player, amazing hitter. Let's see, and a good mustache. Always had a, I've Always. bordering on a two point mustache here for Dewey. Let's see, 20 years in the big leagues, 19 with the Red Sox, and then he played his final year in Baltimore <laughs> in 91. 1990 with Boston, his second to last year. He still appeared in 123 games, hit 249, but a 349 on base as a 38-year-old. Wow. 13 home runs, 63 RBI. Why are you not signing him? He is a, he is a legend with the Red no Sox, kidding. and he had a good year. I mean, at, at this point, they I think that, yeah they still had Greenwell and Burks, but come on, man, you this guy in the clubhouse at least. Uh, One hundred four OPS plus. All of this equals a point nine WAR. Uh, let's see, he's got the two and ones on. That's a, I I've got to give him a two pointer for this mustache. Yeah, that's a, I agree. I, I don't see the card, but uh, I just remember Dewey Evans. It's yeah, a perfect mustache. He had a really good mustache. So that'll even me out to a 1.0. Let's see. Overall, for his career, 272 average, 385 home runs. Eight gold glove awards. This is kind of fun. He had four opening day home runs in his career, including one on the very first pitch of the game, April 7th, 1986. It was the earliest home run hit in a season. Oh, th- how about this? How he got his nickname, Dewey. He was playing for Winston-Salem in 1971, and he had a teammate, Don Neuhauser, who was mm-hmm. nicknamed Newey, and another <laughs> teammate, who they don't name here, whose nickname was Louie. Oh so they had a Newey, a Louie, and a Dewey on the team. Oh, my. I, now, this I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we've had Dewey. Evans appeared in the Farley Brothers film Hall Pass in 2011. <laughs> I don't remember that, but how cool is that? Oh, I, this is a great pack. Not so much for players. Well, some of them are good, but this is one of my guys. The guy who I list as having the best baseball card of all time, although this is not it. Here he is with the Tigers, third baseman, Rick, really, really big shoe. Very nice. So he might not. It's not the. It's not the eighty-seven tops with the Phillies. But here he's got eye black on. That's smeared. He's got that mustache. He looks like he's ready to get dirty. He's already dirty. His uniform's dirty a little bit, but he looks like he's ready to get even more dirty. Let's see. Rick played for nine years in the big leagues. Most of it with Philadelphia. Five years. At the age of 28, 1990, he played for California, appeared in 61 games, 268 average, 314 on base, six home runs, 14 RBI, 110 OPS plus, and that will get me a positive 1.0. Uh, 
He's got eye black and he's got a mustache. So that'll be a plus 1.2. And he's an angel. Uh, no, he's a tiger. Oh, in this. he played for the angels, but this is a picture from the year before he's with the tiger. Uh, I would have really would have helped because you're at 14.1. I'm at 13.4 with two cards left. Hold on. Something really, really important about Rick Shue. He played for the Nippon ham fighters. I had to, I had to make sure we knew this. This was out there. He's a ham fighter. That's right. I, they'll probably fly him over. They're building a new stadium. And you know, when they open a new stadium, they bring in the, the big guys. So I'm guessing Rick Shue will be heading over to Japan next year. Yes. All right. Next. I, I really need some help here. I'm, I'm, with two cards left and 0.7 behind. I don't know how much I'm going to get out of pitcher for the Red Sox. Wes Gardner. Wes Gardner. Sounds familiar. This is one of those guys where I, yeah, the name sounds familiar, but I really don't remember much about him. Uh, He pitched for eight years in the big leagues. Hmm. Came up with the Mets in 84. Played with Boston for five years. And in 1990, he went three and seven with a 4.89 ERA. I don't like the way this is heading. <laughs> 77 and a third innings pitched, 77 hits, 58 strikeouts, and 84 ERA plus, And that equals a positive 0.5. And he's got real stirrups. So that'll be a positive 0.6. Takes me to 14 even. A tenth of a point behind you with Oy. one card remaining. Wow, here we go, folks. This is this is big. So last week we had a nail biter to see if I would come up with a negative number. <laughs> and I ended up with a positive point one. Now I am point one away from your title. So my final card here, I will tell you this, he's wearing real stirrups and he's got a mustache. Uh-oh. So right now, if if we stopped right now, I would be a tenth of a point. I would win my first game uh, in yep. forever. It is pitcher here with the Phillies, Ken Howell. Ken Howell. Oh, no. Oh, no. What's up? You chose the Red Sox, right? I did choose the Red Sox. I've had three Red Sox in this (laughs) deck. Which is a minus 1.5, our intern... Uh, Scrumpy just told me this. And <laughs> That's catch. Scrumpy is now fired. You're out of here. It's poor Scrumpy. Scrumpy. Gosh darn it. That knocks me down to 12.5. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot win at this game unless Ken Howell had a great year. Well, I'll tell you what. I would feel bad, Jeff, if I had the ability to do so. <laughs> yes. If you had the ability to feel empathy, you would. But let's see. <laughs> Seven years in the big leagues. 1990 was Ken Howell's final year. Five years with the Dodgers. Two with the Phillies. For Philadelphia, he went eight and seven with a four with a four point six four ERA at eighteen starts. An eighty two ERA plus. <laughs> And that ends up with a war of minus 0.3. No, it wouldn't have won anyway. So. so with the mustache and the stirrups, that'll be a minus 0.1. <laughs> now, let's just, for, for fun here, let's imagine that Scrumpy had not told us that I had three Red Sox, reminded us. That would have ended, I would have ended up with a 13.9, and I still would have lost because he was <laughs> negative. Oh, man. Well, you know what, man? You just keep keep, uh, you keep catching the negatives. Here. I am the Cincinnati Reds of Wax Packs huh. Heroes. I find new ways to lose every single week. This one was impressive. 
yeah if if i get points for impressively losing you are darn right this oh was... man you'd be in the hole all right so that's gonna wrap it up you're now up two to nothing well on your way to a fourth consecutive Wax Packs Hero uh, title. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. It's also going to do it for this uh, week's episode of our show. If you can't get enough of us, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We're at 2 Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitch, YouTube. Find all these links in the show notes. Also, we have an email address. You can write to us at 2 Strike Noise. Spell it out, TWO Strike Noise. At gmail.com. All right. I'm going to go wallow in my defeat. I'm going to throw Scrumpy's belongings out of the uh, third story window here at the uh, Two Strike Noise studio and tell him to hit the bricks. But uh, <laughs> maybe you should bust out the whiskey since we're so popular. Yeah, I will. That's, that's a given. Yeah, that's a given. <laughs> hit the whiskey. But uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 